As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In this special edition, best of Earth Ancients, we're going to go back almost seven years and pull out some archives from Dr. Artie Sixcolor Clark. And this is Native Encounters with Star People. Now, we talk a great deal about the interactions that people are having today. We typically hear from people in the United States and Europe. And these are startling interactions with with, uh, uh, off-world beings. But in a holistic world of the Native tradition, interactions with star people is quite natural and people are indoctrinated at a young age to understand, accept that these are the ancestors. And today we'll hear just exactly what people are seeing, what they have uh, chronicled, and what Dr. Clark has compiled in over 4,000 interviews of indigenous people in Mexico and Central America. All this and more on Earth Ancients. Saturday, November 20th, 2021. This is Earth Ancients. I'm your host, Cliff Dunning. Hey, I hope you're doing well. You know, this is uh, getting into, uh, we're getting into the uh, holiday months. This is the fa- one of my favorite times of the year. And I wanted to focus on some past history and some archival material that I have uh, kept under under wraps for for years. And this topic, the topic for this week is Encounters with Star People. Actually, the title is The Indigenous Tradition of Star People. 
And we've talked a little bit about it in the past, and we've had uh, elders like uh, Clifford Mahoudi on the program and other people. And we're going to focus on a person who I've had a couple of times, Dr. Artie Sixkiller Clark. And Dr. Clark suffered a stroke a few years ago and, and really doesn't give interviews anymore. But in my archives, I found... Uh, some early interviews when I just had launched uh, Earth Ancients. And at that time, it was Earth Ancients, startling new discoveries from our planet's distant past. And what we're going to hear today is unedited interviews from 2014 to 2015. And at that time, Artie was uh, on the uh, Tour, she was uh, talking about her first book, Encounters with Star People, and then the book that I was really fascinated in, which is Sky People, Untold Stories of E.T. Encounters in Mesoamerica, and that book was uh, really an eye-opener for me. And uh, Dr. Artie Sixcolor Clark is... Uh, you know, she's a research investigator in Montana, and she's she's got an interesting background. She uh, basically vowed as a teenager to follow the footsteps of the two 19th century explorers, John L. Stevens and Frederick Catherwood, who boated down to Guatemala, at that time Guatemala City, and chronicled their travels through Belize uh, present-day Honduras, Guatemala, and parts of Mexico, right up into the area that I love, which is uh, Yucatan Peninsula. And Stevens and uh, Catherwood published two books. The first book, which was uh, published around 1841, was Incidents in Travel in Central America. And the second book, which came out in 1843, was Incidents in Travel in Yucatan. And Catherine Wood was an illustrator who illustrated these ruins. This is the first time the world had ever even encountered the Maya uh, prior to the Spanish conquistadors basically wrote about them uh, when they arrived here in the 1500s. Uh, so this is the first time the world had seen, heard about these ruins, and it was enthralled. I mean, these were monster bestsellers at that time. Charting the Maya and their and their cities in these areas. Now, she, over 10 years, Dr. Clark, R.D. Six Clark Clark, traveled from 20 uh, from 2003 through 2010 and she went down there to interview native people on the history of star people, but not only the history, and they go back thousands of years, and we'll hear about this today, but also the current contact with star people that is, 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 is continuing to take place in these regions. And what's interesting about native contact with ETs and star people is that their contact is much more holistic. When we when we hear about people in the United States and Europe 
having contact, it's different because we're not, there's no history, there's no indoctrination that takes place. Uh, Clifford Moody tells me that it's part of the culture. Uh, it's part of their upbringing to know that star people are are in their history, that they helped uh, a lot of the native cultures. And the same thing happens in Mexico, in Guatemala, in Central America, uh, with those cultures there. There is a natural inclination to accept them, uh, to know that they are part of their heritage. And so when these uh, encounters happen, they happen more uh, in an in a, in a accepting, welcoming manner. Again, the term I use is holistic. Uh, and so when we hear today from Artie on these uh, interviews that she gave, they're very matter of fact. Um, in some cases, in, in, in one of the interviews that she gave, we'll hear about this, um, Artie, Artie herself sees a ship, <laughs> which I would love to do. I haven't seen, I think I've seen a couple of star ships, but I haven't seen um, the type of ships that Artie and these interviews that we'll hear about today encounter. Um, so the program focuses on her uh, travels. She traveled more than 12,000 miles. She visited 89 to almost 100 archaeological sites that uh, Stevens and Catherwood visited. And um, what's really quite profound, and I have to say this, Artie Six Color Clark is the foremost authority on native contact with star people. I mean, uh, Clifford, my friend, is uh, a spokesperson for the Zuni uh, and there's been other people on the program who represent their uh, their clan, their their uh, tribes. But Artie, in the period that she interviewed these individuals, collected and recounts 40, I mean, there's 4,000 interviews that she gives. And, uh, you know, these are uh, stories of encounters with uh, giants, little people different types of hominins. And uh, at the end of this program, I'll give you the name of the four books that she's written. Her most recent book, by the way, was in, uh, I think came out 2018. It's called Space, Day, Space Age India is where she starts talking about the different hominins, which are like uh, homo sapiens sapiens uh, from different planetary systems uh, that are visiting Earth constantly. So so today's program is archives from past interviews that I put together in two parts. It's an extended program. Uh, we're not going to hear from Bruce Fenton today because the length of these interviews takes up a huge volume of time. I've cut it down to approximately 90 minutes. These are unedited. And what that means is that uh, except for a few coughs and, and uh, breaks, uh, these run together in a part one and a part two section with uh, Dr. Uh, Artie Six Color Clark. Now, I'll 
She is a retired professor at Montana State, and she has dedicated her life to the indigenous people of the Americas. And uh, she is a uh, consultant to a number of American uh, Indian tribes and indigenous communities worldwide. And uh, she has a website, uh, sixcolorclark.com. And uh, this is really to honor her work, which is extensive. And uh, the, uh, the books that she's written really chronicle the interactions that Native people have with their, in some cases, their ancestors. Now, my, um, my mentor, Humbuntsman, uh, who passed away a few years ago, uh, believes that there are some groups of Maya who have direct lineage, direct ancestry with star people. And it's not documented very well anywhere. And this is another area where codices that were destroyed, other data probably linked and talked about these uh, ancestral links with star people. So we don't have that. So all we have is the stories, the encounters, which is what our program is today. And it's really, in many ways, a special uh, edition of Earth Ancients, simply because we're going to hear from these individuals through Artie's interviews. And uh, Artie will read to us exactly what these encounters were and just how they influenced these uh, native Maya uh, in Mesoamerica. Now, we're also going to hear a few interviews from First Nation people who live in the United States, uh, but the, mo- the bulk of the interviews today will be from Mesoamerica, Central Me- Mexico and Central America will be the program today. You know, it's funny because I was thinking, wow, 4,000 accounts of star people interactions with na- na- uh, Native people. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's quite profound. And, you know, this is beyond academic uh, mindset because obviously this is uh, word of mouth. It gets into the mythology of some of these people and their history. And I would love it, but, you know, we've have uh, uh, problems when we start interacting with the academic world and these Native traditions. So I think you're going to enjoy this program uh, with Dr. Artie Sixkiller Clark. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This interview with Dr. Artie Sixkeller-Clark is in two parts. Uh, The first part was recorded in 2014, just as I had launched the podcast Earth Ancients, Startling New Discoveries from Our Planet's Distant Past. I have uh, gone through this again. This uh, recording is in its entirety. I just cleaned it up a little bit. There is a section in here that is uh, pretty fascinating, but this Uh, introduction to her work and her books uh, gives us an idea of why she began pursuing this, her personal interest, and uh, some of the stories that she uncovered. So here's part one. My guest today, we're bringing her back, is uh, Dr. Uh, Artie Sixkeller-Clark. Dr. Clark, um, I had uh, on the program earlier uh, in the year, and her book was on Sky People from the United States, the Native Americans in the United States. This new book we hinted about a little bit, which is the Sky People of Mesoamerica, Encounters with uh, Star People. And this book is, is dynamite. And my guest today, uh, Dr. Artie Sixkiller-Clark, Brings to the field of ufology degrees in history, English, psychology, educational leadership, and a bra- background as a teacher, university professor, uh, licensed therapist, psychologist, and social researcher. She's a professor emeritus at uh, Montana State University, director of the Center for Bilingual Multicultural Education, and her work is primarily with indigenous people. She's So she's... Uh, the perfect candidate to to interview 
uh, native native people. She has an understanding of that. Her first bestseller was Encounters with Star People, and that, as I mentioned, was with within the United States. Now, this new book, where she actually goes to uh, Central America and interviews the Mayan culture, is a fascination to me because she she basically re traces the footsteps of early explorers, uh, two who are well-known, John Stevens and Frederick uh, Catherwood. And and if you don't remember those uh, two uh, explorers, they wrote a book called Incidents of Travel in Central America, Chiapas, and Yucatan. With And then they follow that up with a book called Incidents of Travel in the Yucatan. And for me, those were my first kind of introduction into ruins left by the ancient Maya. And I'm going to bring Artie out. Now, hi, Artie. Are you there? I'm here. Good oh, well, welcome you. to the program. Yes, yes. By the way, congratulations on your on your new book. It's uh, officially available on, uh, on Amazon. Is that correct? That's right. I, I Fantastic. Think it's still a pre-order on Amazon. I'm not sure. I know that they were saying that uh, probably December 15th, uh, somewhere between the 15th and 22nd, it would be available. But I haven't okay. checked the site recently. so. Okay. Well, I have had a chance to look at an edit, uh, uh, edited uh, copy sent by your publisher, um, uh, New Book. Uh, is it New World Book? What's the publisher? New Page. New Page. New Page. New Page, yes. And uh, I... I just can't say enough about it. Now, um, you drove, according to this here, you drove more than 12,000 miles. You visited 89 archaeological uh, sites and uh, uh, conducted nearly 100 individual interviews. Now, uh, how many years did it take you to to, to do this? About 10 years. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yes, and I, so, I would spend anywhere from from um, uh, about twelve days to um, two months at a time when I was there, mm-hmm. um, and um, I really immersed myself into the Maya culture and to the you know the little villages and and getting to know the people and and uh, but I think that's one of the reasons why I was able to get such honest stories and to uncover information that other people had had not paid attention to. Mm-hmm. Now, is there something about the, the Mayan culture that was uh, of great interest to you? I mean, obviously, Stevens and the Catherwood were the impetus for you to go down there, but was there something specific about the Mayan culture that was fascinating to you? Well, I was very interested in their in their uh, um, uh, astronomy um, that they had such great knowledge of the universe. I was also I had read uh, von Daniken's books, and and I just you know was having difficulty um, uh, wholeheartedly embracing you know his ancient astronaut theories, and so um, and. I just decided that, uh, although I had always promised myself that uh, one day I was going to follow in the footsteps of Stevens and Catherwood when I was in high school, I first read their books. 
And so I said, I'm going to do this. And then along as the years passed, my interest grew in more directions. And so I decided, uh, since I had been collecting stories from indigenous people um, about their uh, encounters, that I would do the same thing in uh, in, uh, in Central America and Mexico. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's, that's what I did. Yes, and, and your book's filled with great, great stories. Now, obviously, uh, Stevens and Catherwood were in Central America at a time where there were no paved roads. So right. when, when you say you followed his path, uh, their path, it was more of kind of a uh, following their path maybe with paved roads now and then maybe right. going off the paved roads when you went to see a ruin. But did you actually follow their paved roads from when they, from when they landed in Belize? Or how, how does it start for you? Well, you know, I, they their first stopover was Belize. At that time, it was mm-hmm. British Honduras. And right. there was basically, you know, a kind of a civil war going on in, in British Honduras at the time. And mm-hmm. um, he had, they they just used Belize as a stopover. Um, and they rested and then they started their trek um, in into um, um, they they stopped in Belize City, not the not the country. They were in British Honduras, so they spent a couple of days in Belize City, and then they went on to Copan, um, in British Honduras. Uh, that was the the first actual uh, ancient city that they visited. Right. Um, and in your in your studies, I mean, you are. Uh, uh, a scientist in many ways, and you do quantitative and qualitative uh, research. So you you were very careful in how you uh, you did your your interviews. But um, overall, would you say that the Maya had a a, a, a regular connection with star people uh, over thousands of years, or would you say uh, that uh, it's more of a, a recent phenomenon? Oh, it's it's existed ever since they they uh, um, <laughs> um, built their cities on on this planet. You know, they mm-hmm. they uh, it's not a recent phenomenon at all. And uh, okay, um, okay. So, would you say that um, the the shaman and the priests that are present day are the holders of whatever knowledge is left? Because we know that. The Spanish literally burnt libraries of their ancient knowledge. Uh, it, it, what, what do you feel is uh, who, who bears that information now among the among the Maya? Well, I think they're they're uh, they're village priests. Uh, mm-hmm. Many of them still have that knowledge, and and I met with 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 uh, priests who who told me they still travel the universe. Um, not physically, as you and I might think, but that, you know, uh, they they say that their language is the language of, you know, uh, of the stars, um, that their, their people still live in the universe on, uh, on other planets, and that they can travel through time um, and still go 
to those places. And they have mm. chants that they use, you know, that they call up the gods and, and still speak with, uh, with the angels. Hmm. Okay. And, and, I mean, has your research changed your opinion of the Maya? I mean, uh, uh, I mean, these are very, very unique. Well, I mean, I'm very impressed with the Maya. I mean, I've been to the ruins countless times uh, and believe that there's a, a, an untold story that, uh, for me, it's that the Maya are much older than uh, historians provide them or give them. But what 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 uh, in the end, uh, and we're going to get into some chapters here in a minute. But I just want to get an overview: what your overview is of the of the Maya that you've encountered, and what your opinion is of them now as a as a culture. Well, uh, I have tremendous respect for the Maya. But the the most significant thing I think that I I feel about the Maya is that. Um, and all the research that I've done among indigenous people, they are the only group of indigenous people who came to earth that brought their knowledge with them. They did not have uh, someone else on earth bring their knowledge to them. They came here with their knowledge and they used their knowledge to build the cities. Um, <clears throat> One, one, el- one elder told me, and I think it, it sums up, you know, everything about the Maya. He said, um, uh, we were not impressed with the Spanish culture. We, to us, they were not technologically advanced because we came from a, from a society that was much more advanced than they. Mm. And so... You know, when I that to me was, you know, uh, just an amazing statement. Um, they did not go greet the Spaniards as gods like the Aztecs did, because they knew what an advanced culture was, and right. the Spanish was not an advanced culture, and they were not gods. They mm-hmm. were predators to the Maya. So. Is it your opinion that the ancient Maya were not from the Earth, that they actually came from the stars? Yes. Okay. I believe that. And and many of them tell me that. Okay. So if you were to to give um, an educated guess at how old the Maya truly are, would you say they're much significantly older than the 3,000 years that we give them? So they, they're oh, absolutely. Uh, prehistoric? Absolutely. Yes. Okay, so, 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 so greater than 10,000 years, maybe. Yes. Okay. In fact, I think they've been finding um, some, um, uh, some ancient uh, relics just in, in the past year that validate that, that are more than 10,000 years old. You know, well, we know, we, yeah, we, we, we do know there's a doctor uh, in um, uh, Chiapas at uh, El Milador who has redated a number of the ruins, and, and he dates them as contemporaries of the Olmec, which makes them extremely old, but he believes they're, much, they're significantly older than that, but he won't say that publicly <laughs> because he'll lose his funding. <laughs> I know well, this is you know this is one of the one of the crazy things about the field of archaeology although I do have to say that I think the archaeologists 
are paying a lot more attention to these ancient stories um, of of, the, of indigenous people than what they once did. I think so. For, for once, finally, I mean, the myths are becoming uh, truths. Um, uh, so, then that's a question for you, uh, and then we're going to jump into some of these chapters. Do you? What's your feeling of native myths? Because the academic world considers myths as fables, falsehoods, whereas the native people have a lot of oral traditions, and some of them are myths. And shouldn't we be more considerate about those uh, those myths? Well, I certainly think so. Um, I think that that you find um, as man progressed. Uh, from you know the the Stone Age into the Industrial Age, suddenly you know the intellectual thought moved from oral history was frowned upon and criticized and and uh, disregarded as nothing but a myth, and and um, all of a sudden it, everything was objective uh, that the oral word could not be counted on. And that's a, a great tragedy, in my opinion, because um, the the ancient stories, uh, um, while uh, they may have been um, um, uh, changed somewhat uh, for the entertainment of children, these were not children's stories. They were they the the real meat of the stories. I think you know had truth in them and were based mm-hmm. on truth. And um, so, you know, I don't, I don't disregard them. And perhaps that's the reason why I have access to some of the information that other researchers haven't been able to have. Because when you go into a village and you've heard this ancient story that this man came down on a beam of light and he stood on this rock. And when he spoke, his voice sounded like thunder. Mm-hmm. And then he lived among the people, and he took a a, 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 a a woman in the village for a wife. You know, and 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 they had a son, and that son, um, when he became an adult, married, and the father went back and stood on that rock, and a beam came down and took him back to. To the sky. Now, a lot of people say, well, that's just nonsense. That's just a story to entertain children. I don't believe that. I think that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. And if you look at, at the artifacts in that, at, at that particular place, you'll see that, you know, the, the depiction of that leader, he's wearing goggles. I mean, there's just a lot to indicate that their image of him was someone who probably came from the stars. And the story says he did. You know, so right. why, who are we to say this is just a children's story? It's just a myth made up to entertain. I don't believe that. Mm-hmm. In, your, in your first book, um, uh, there, there are references to myths uh, in various uh, American tribes, um, but the myths in uh, are handed down in, in a similar fashion that they are with American uh, or the U.S. Um, uh, native groups. Uh, but 
what I think is is quite interesting, and you've already touched on it, is that uh, they are cherished, uh, and um, you know, there's certain individuals that in the old times were selected to carry these memories and to speak about them in certain ceremonies. Did you find um, a, a number of daykeepers in Mesoamerica that you spoke with, or was there just a couple that are in your book, the priests? Um, what I found is that you could go into villages where, where nobody had any knowledge of the ancient stories. You know, if, if you're traveling in that part of the part of the country, you know, it's, it's uh, or part of the world, um, it's the the small villages are just so isolated and so far removed from um, a civilization, so to speak, uh, that um, um, many of them uh, don't have any knowledge, and yet you'll go into another isolated village where there is somebody who has kept that ancient knowledge alive. Um, <clears throat> One explanation I was given for that was that, um, you know, any time a culture faces a calamity, such as what happened to the Maya, um, you are in the mode of survival. You aren't um, interested in maintaining every every um, uh, ancient all the ancient knowledge. All you want to do is take your family get into the jungle and survive. Mm -hmm. And so that a lot of that knowledge was lost, and yet there were other circumstances where it wasn't lost. And mm. um, and I think that's probably what would, would one um, uh, elder told me, he said, you know, just imagine that if, if uh, a calamity would happen to America, and 10,000 years from now somebody is traveling America, and they come upon the Statue of Liberty. They would probably call her the goddess of fire. That's what the people would refer to her. They said the same thing happened to us. Mm. You know, we, and a lot of that knowledge um, was given up in terms of just surviving, was lost in terms of surviving. And, wow. uh, I, you know, and I, I believe that's true. That's exactly what happened to the Maya, um, mm -hmm. and um, uh, you, you know the the Maya never really warred that much with with the, with the Spanish because they just went into the jungle and and uh, escaped. There are some accounts um, of of uh, the Maya, the Spanish taking over um, uh, or um, uh, battling with some of the. Um, uh, in Guatemala, but um, you know the the when the Spanish came in, the, the Maya just moved away, and and of course you know mo most of the great um, um, many well not most but many of the um, uh, Catholic churches that were built in Mexico were built using the stones of these ancient cities, which the which it's the terrible. Spaniards just went in and tore down, you know, and then they yeah. built their their uh, churches on top of them. I've seen many, many Mayan uh, 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 a church built on top of Mayan ruins, and, and you're That's right, exactly uh, right. And up you, and you down, know, and you walk yeah. through you walk through uh, small towns, 
and here are our our bricks from from these ancient cities used to build storefronts and used you know yeah. I mean, people it, they were just looted and so there were a lot of those great cities that were destroyed um, in, in that manner you know um, and and the Maya um, when you know what happened um, you know when when uh, the, the bishop. Uh, land, land. Uh, you know, he, yeah. he burned all of their their codices and um, their um, all of their religious artifacts, which he considered, a, um, uh, you know, worship of idols, and yeah. he destroyed everything. And um, you know, the the um, uh, I remember my God saying that that uh, his family had always told stories of the crying and the wailing of the people when all of this was going on. And uh, um, it, it was just a very uh, sad time for the Maya. And, yeah. and, um, and they basically just disappeared into the jungles. And that's where they are today. You know? Yeah. Uh, except for the ones that you see in tourist areas, you know, that are yeah. serving the people. And yeah. most of them, um, uh, uh, many of them are, are, uh, um, you know, uh, not full blood Maya, um, mm-hmm. and you know there there's a, a very uh, uh, strong class system in that part of the world. You know, the mm-hmm. Maya are at the bottom, yeah, and then you have the mixed, and then you have the, the Spanish. You know, and mm-hmm. um, and and the Maoris refer to them as the Mexicans. Those Mexicans, they don't call themselves the Mexicans. They are not Mexicans. They are whatever you know group they are from. That's who they are. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, they make that distinction. And I was surprised that that pervades even throughout the Yucatan. Uh, and, and I remember asking this one man. He said, he said. Um, you know, we better get out of here because these Mexicans, look at them, they're just coming in droves, he said. And that was the first time I'd, I'd heard that, and I said, well, you're Mexican. He said, oh, no, I'm not. I'm Yucatecan. <laughs> yeah. I'm not Mexican, you know. And, and of yeah. course, the Yucatan, you know, uh, and that that caste war that was fought, you know, between the Mexican government and the, and the Maya people. Yes. Um, you know, was uh, you know just points out that attitude is still there, although the Maya quit fighting. Um, they 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 just they they just retreated back to their villages. Um, but um, you know, and I visited villages in in Mexico where uh, Mexican law did not exist. They had mm-hmm. their own law. And there was nothing, if somebody got in trouble in those villages, there was nothing any government could do to help you out. And, uh, and, and one of the other interesting things I found is um, the continuation of religious practices. I participated in religious ceremonies that were the same kind of ceremony that was held during the, 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 the early days of the Maya, and I participated in religious ceremonies that was a combination of Christianity and um, um, the Maya religion. I was in mm. one village where Jesus Christ 
is considered a, a, a disciple, and John the Baptist was worshipped as, as, as a prophet. Uh, you know, there's just a lot of different things that, that go on in these small villages that a tourist necessarily wouldn't, wouldn't encounter. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're just driving through and you're looking at, at uh, uh, looking for the cities, and most of them, where they'll, they'll go to uh, Chichen Itza, they'll go to Ushmal, and they'll go to Palenque. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried to search out those that, when I went to those places, I mean, like you, I love Palenque. It's one of the most spiritual places, I believe, in the world. Yes. Um, and Chichen Itza, you know, has turned into a tourist center. It has, um, unfortunately. Um, let's yeah. talk a little bit about the book, because your book is wonderful, Artie. Um, in, um, uh, I'll go through some of the areas uh, that I thought, uh, chapters I thought were outstanding, and you can talk us a little, talk, tell us a little bit about it. So, chapter two, a double on another planet. Now, this is a fascinating story because it actually... Uh, describes an individual who has been cloned. Um, right. Tell us about that. Long before uh, we ever knew about cloning, I might add. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about that. Well, I I was I was in Belize, and um, I had a driver uh, who was um, he, he identified himself as a Red Carib Indian. Um, and the Red Caribs, as he told me, uh, never married with the African slaves who escaped when when those slave traders were coming through. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they they were the Red Carib and the Yellow Carib, and they never mixed. But the Garifuna, um, they are a mixture of of black and and Indian, and so. Um, I was in, my driver told me that he had a cousin who had told him that he had been taken uh when he was just an infant or not an infant but a toddler um and that he had repeatedly um had encounters with uh people from the stars and so um, one day he drove me to meet him, and well, we went to look for him because he hadn't seen his cousin for several decades, I think about 30 years, he said. And we found him, and he was willing to tell me his story, and he said that he was about four years old when he first first encountered them, and at first he thought they were children, that, you know, he played with them, and he, he thought they were a lot of fun, and... Um, but that, uh, you know, as he grew older, when he was about nine or ten, he said, you know, he realized that there was something much more, um, much different about them. And he said they started coming several times a year, and they would take him on board their spaceship. And he said one of the things that they did a lot of tests, like they would they would do things where they would uh, give him problems, like... Uh, uh, some kind of manipulatives, and and they wanted to see how he would solve a problem, and and mm-hmm. they would observe him and watch him, and at the at the uh, same time they were, um, uh, you know, taking his knowledge um, and um, uh, every of all the knowledge that he that he uh, um, 
um, that he possessed. And, and he told me about um, they were taking his knowledge uh, and they were cloning uh, him. Um, he said that when he was 16, his clone actually went back to Earth and he stayed on the spaceship. And he said he hmm. stayed there for two weeks in his village, impersonating him, and no one knew the difference. What part of Mexico he, was that located in, Ari? What part of uh, Mexico? That wasn't in Mexico. This was in Belize. Oh, that was in Belize. It, okay. It was in Belize. And he okay. said uh, um, that um, the space, the, the, he was told they were populating another planet. Hmm. And that... Um, uh, his clone would go to this other planet, he would be one of the people, and that they needed his skills on this other planet, and that's the reason why they had cloned him. They wanted mm-hmm. his clone to have all the knowledge of farming and and plants and all the things that he knew. And mm-hmm. so, and he said, uh, but he never regarded it... Uh, when he said, you know, he rebelled a little bit when he was in his teenage years because he he wanted to be doing other things with his friends. Um, and uh, But he said that he came to respect them so much, and he said probably they were the reason why I went to college because they gave me so much knowledge. And he said that I, because I knew there was more than just what I, the village I lived in, he said, I, I decided that I wanted to um, know more. And he said, so I regard them as, as the impetus that, that made me go to college. And he said that the, the night he graduated from college, they came to see him. And they wow. told him they were finished with him. And, uh, and they told him that their dub, uh, his double had learned what he needed to know. Mm-hmm. And that uh, he would be a farmer like him on on another planet. That's amazing. And, um, yeah, and that they were populating another planet, and and that, and he says he's never seen them again. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You know, as a... Um as a researcher, as an orthodox, educated person, what, how do you take a story like that? I mean, do you just say, well, you know, it seems like he's telling the truth. He's sincere enough. I will accept that for my book. Or, I mean, how do you approach that? I mean, you, you've been interviewing Native people for years now. And when someone tells you a story like that, what, what, how, what, how do you react to that? Well, I, I try not to react because okay. I think that's, you know, I try not to say, well, you know, I don't believe this, you know, or I think this is a lie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, or, you know, just dismiss it because I think that's what's happened so much to people who tell their stories that um, we put our own uh, opinions and inferences into their stories. What I, my process is to simply go into these communities to um, uh, to have trusted people uh, people they trust if I don't know them if I if I haven't been seen in the village for a while if people don't know who I am um, you know to have somebody that they trust to know that I'm trustworthy because mm-hmm. that's that's really important in the indigenous community is that uh, in any indigenous community I've been in is that they either know they can trust you from your reputation or you are accompanied by somebody that they believe, uh, that, that they trust, that they believe it's okay to tell you their story. And I don't question them in the sense of, of a, um, uh, a scientist. I'm, I'm a social scientist, so I'm interested in stories. I'm interested mm-hmm. in hearing theirs. They have no reason to lie to me. He wasn't given some kind of information that, you know, tell this woman a story. You know, he was just sat down and it was a conversation uh, about his experience. I don't have any questions that this didn't happen to him. It wasn't a dream. Yeah. And the stories are so detailed in the book that the imaginations to come up with that would have to be pretty wild. That's right. You know? Yeah, and uh, you know, I, you know, I heard repeatedly when I was in uh, traveling uh, that uh, there were other planets that had been populated by these by these sky people. Mm-hmm. I heard that from a lot more than just this man. Um, mm-hmm. You know that uh, that that the the sky people have enough knowledge and power 
that they can take a planet, they can um, uh, terraform it, they can make it uh, the climate uh, compatible with with uh, um, theirs. Uh, they mm-hmm. can do all sorts of things to make a planet inhabitable, mm-hmm. and um, so. And and but they're very specific that there's only one or two groups of sky people who can do that. Wow, um, you have a, a fantastic section of your book. Actually, it it kind of it kind of runs throughout your book, and it's an area that I have had a problem with just because there's a whole series of programs called Ancient Aliens, and. The reason I have a problem with it is that uh, anything that they cannot explain in these programs, they uh, attribute to ancient aliens. I know. And so uh, in, in my website and in my Facebook page and, and on this program, I, I don't really endorse ancient alien research because uh, it's, it's – for most of it, it's, it's just like uh, hearsay. It's hearsay. But – in your well, it's case, speculation. You know, I mean, it's it's taking yeah. something and it's speculating that this is what happened. And I asked mm-hmm. the Maya about that. I asked them repeatedly, "What mm-hmm. do you think of these ancient astronaut theories, or what do you think about uh, the idea that uh, somebody uh, came from the sky and built your ancient cities?" And mm-hmm. and and they say. Um, I said, did anybody ever ask you? Uh, well, in fact, one one man said to me, um, um, Von Daniken got it all wrong. He said, he said, uh, and I said, why do you say that? Well, he said, because he never asked us. Interesting. He never asked us. He just speculated about how these cities were built. He said, um, we built these cities, or our our ancestors built these cities. He said. Um, the aliens he talks about are us. We came here, we built these cities, and we stayed. And I heard that several times, that they came from another world and that they built the cities, and um, and they are the descendants of the people who came from the stars. That's amazing. Let's talk about a couple of these chapters. You have a fascinating chapter. It's I think it's uh, it's called the Silver Men from the Stars, where I believe it's uh, I can't remember what part of uh, Central America, but it was, it some was lo- in uh, Honduras. Oh, it's in Honduras, and and this right. group of uh, of natives uh, went into a, a cave and they actually found. Uh, the remains of a being in a, a silver suit. Tell, tell us a little bit about that. That's fascinating. Well, I was uh, outside of Copan. There's a um, Copan extends over a, a, a large area, and, and there was a there was an area uh, of, of the ancient site that um, where the uh, what archaeologists say is where the people actually lived, mm-hmm. and. Um, I ran on to this old man, and 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 he said to me, you know, I, I, he told me he was born in 1904, um, that he uh, was five years old when Herbert Spenden, who was a curator of anthropology at the American Museum of Natural History in New York, when he mm-hmm. came to Copan, and he said, um, 
uh, he kept hanging around and hanging around. Um, and finally, he said he actually had worked at the site of Copan for 75 years. And he said wow. that Spindon was the first to hire him. And he said, at that time, I was I was young, but he said, I was strong. And he said, um, mostly I was his runner. I would run and get him things. I would carry water to them. I brought their lunches to the site. And he was telling me how he worked for 10 cents a day. And Spindon had told him if he'd learn English, he would he would increase his pay to 25 cents a day. And so he said about <laughs> learning English. And... But he said that one of the ways that they got extra money is that he and his friends would go into the mountains where they knew there were all this ancient stuff, and they would go into the mountains, and they would look for this stuff, and they would bring them back, and, and these archaeologists would give them money for these artifacts. And uh, they went in to the mountains and uh, um, um, found this remains of a skeleton in a cave that was dressed in a silver suit. <laughs> mm. And they brought it back to the archaeologist. And he he said um, that the suit was silver from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And he said that um, inside the suit was obviously a skeleton. And he said um, uh, the person who had once been inside this suit was a small man. He said he was he was smaller than me. And Luis probably was maybe close to five feet tall. Mm-hmm. Um, so he said his... But his head, he said, was covered with a hard metal-like tube. Um, and, and that they found a, a, a tablet with strange characters on it lying beside him. And he said um, it was not the Maya writing on the on the temple that he had seen on the temples, um, and and uh, so they carried this back to the archaeologists, and the archaeologists were very excited. Um, they took this uh, a skeleton into one of the tents and started examining it. And he said he heard one of them say, "We've got to send this back to the to to uh, the university or the USA immediately." And um, he said, you know, now that he reflects on it, he knows it was proof that the Maya had a connection with the stars. Mm-hmm. And, um, and But he said the next day he saw a box in the tent, and he knew they were packing him up to ship him to their university, and he said, I never saw it again. And he said, I'm sure that the scientists in uh, the USA has studied and restudied him, but they keep it a secret. And he yeah. was haunted by this. Because he said, um, he said, you know, I did something that was probably very bad, but I was a child. Uh, he mm-hmm. said, they only gave me $2. Uh, but in those wow. days, we thought we were rich, you know. But he said, yeah. um, if I had not revealed that, uh, it would have been definite proof um, that, that we had that connection with the stars. Mm-hmm. That, that's a fascinating story, and, and that it is a fascinating story. Of course, the, there's huge speculation now that the American institutions. We now know that the the uh, National Geographic has been doing some underhanded things in ancient Egypt. Uh, the oh, Smithsonian, yeah. the Smithsonian is suspected at covering up. Uh, 
uh, a number of archaeological finds, not only in America, but in other parts of, uh, of uh, North America. And so when I hear that kind of story, it just it saddens me because it's well, knowledge know, they that we say don't have. Because, uh, now, I've been told this, that in Mexico, the second biggest crime in Mexico is the illegal tra- trading outside of drugs is the illegal mm-hmm. trading in ancient artifacts. Yes. Mm. And yeah. so people are... And I saw evidence of that. You would go... You know, um, uh, uh, some of the places that Stevens and Catherwood uh, uh, went to, um, you know, I had to go and knock on doors and, and uh, ask people if they would allow me on their land um, in order to go see the places that Stevens and Catherwood had, had seen, because mm-hmm. they weren't on a paved road, they weren't a, a part of the of the tour group, you know, that goes throughout goes to these ancient sites. Right. But I wanted to make that that trip as much as possible and see what Stevens and Catherwood had seen. That was mm-hmm. my initial goal. Uh, when I was 16 years old, that I wanted to do this. Um, and what you would find when you would go, you know, to some of these places that were out of the way, you would actually find where people had been digging. Um, and they were uh, digging for artifacts that they could sell on the, on the, on the black market. But they say yeah. that is the second biggest crime, um, uh, is the selling of, of artifacts. I uh, regularly post um, uh, artifacts that are listed on eBay. Uh, I used to do it every couple of weeks. I used to post some of the amazing artifacts that are uh, up for auction. And it's it saddens me, uh, but it also shows just how sophisticated a lot of the Native people are in Central America. Because some of the artifacts actually have individuals wearing very sophisticated clothing and wearing and, and holding devices that we have no idea what they are so there, there's a, <laughs> but 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 because it's such a, a a poor area in most of the parts of that uh, southern mexico in chiapas and 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 even belize that it, it's a it's a way for people to make a living, I guess. It's kind of sad. Well, in, in Guatemala, I mean, I've never seen such poverty as what yeah. you see in Guatemala among the, the indigenous people there. I mean, it's really mm-hmm. uh, sad, you know. Um, and and so if you can get a few bucks and it'll feed your family for a week or a month, you know, um, you're going to do it. Yeah, um, I hear you. You know, that's just all there is to it. Let's talk about, uh, uh, I think we both, before the show, were, were talking a little bit about Palenque. Uh, you have a couple of wonderful chapters on Palenque. Palenque is a special place. I've been there myself. It's a sacred place. Uh, but you um, interviewed a couple of people who not only uh, witnessed uh, alien beings, but also described the connection uh, with the uh, the ruler there, uh, Pecals. Tell us a little bit about uh, the chapter that you wrote on Palenque and, and why it's such a special place. Well, Palenque, um, the, the story is that when Palenque was built originally, it was supposed to be um, um, the, uh, the place to store the knowledge of the universe. And... Um, 
they say that what happened to Palenque, what people tell you happened to Palenque, that it never became that storehouse of all the all the knowledge, is that after it was built, the builders refused to leave. And they inhabited the city, and so therefore the, um, the knowledge was never left. Um, there are many stories about... Um, uh, uh, travelers that came from the stars and visited Palenque um, and and stories that, that a tower was built there and it was a place that allowed uh, p- uh, leaders to travel back and forth between this planet and Earth that they would enter the tower and they would be transported to, to, um, to the stars. Um, when uh, uh, Stevens and Catherwood uh, arrived in Palenque. It was, um, you know, it, it was an overgrown uh, city filled with mosquitoes, and uh, it's in the jungle. I mean, it sits on the side yeah. of a mountain in the in, in yeah. the jungle, and and so it, it was a miserable experience for them. Even though they did stay, I think it was twenty eight days, um, and promised to return, but they they never. They never got back there. Today, you know, when you go to Palenque, it's like a sideshow. You know, people are out there yeah. talking everything under the sun. You know, and and yeah. uh, um, but and the heat is quite oppressive because it is in it, it is up there in the jungle in that you know, uh, but the, that in the Tumbala Mountains, but that high canopy jungle is just absolutely. Unbelievable yeah, and extremely it, humid. Yeah, and King Takao, um, uh, he ruled the city for sixty-eight years, um, and uh, he was responsible for a lot of the great. Uh, well, Palenque has five hundred buildings that have been identified, but that's only uh, they say there's more than eighty percent of the city that remains uncovered in the rainforest. So, you know, it's a magnificent place. When you think of 500 buildings have been identified, but that's only 20% of what the city is. The rest yeah. of it has never been uncovered. Um, and, and so it's, it's, it's an amazing place to, 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 um, to visit. Um, but um, um, the, yes. the Maya themselves... Um, they, they do not really. You know, in the old days, the priests would tell them to stay out of the city because um, when the Catholics got into to, uh, they they told them, you know, you stay out of the city. That city is evil. And so they told me that the spirits of the old ones come to Palenque. And mm-hmm. so the superstitious Maya, and I think you'll see that throughout the book as you read, you know, how superstition has uh, permeates a lot of, of, uh, of yeah. present-day life. And um, that they wouldn't spend an, a, a night there, but uh, this one-night security guard, he was not, they said he was not Maya, he was Mexican, and he ignored the warnings about the spirits. And so he was in the city at night, um, and he saw uh, the people come from the stars and enter the pyramid of inscriptions and disappear. Wow! And 
uh, he, he, when he described them, he told them they were tall and white. They glowed. They were white. They were spirits, he said. And uh, they entered the, uh, uh, came on a spacecraft that was round. He said it looked like a hat, a flat hat. Uh, it smelled awful, he said, like hell smells, he said. <laughs> and he tasted metal, and it made him sick, and his head hurt, and he said that um, after that he left. He never wanted anything to do with uh, with uh, uh, Palenque again. Um, so that was one of the stories I heard that I thought, I thought was, was quite amazing. One of the things that's really interesting is, you know, this is a city that uh, King's Cow is what... Uh, uh, von Daniken has put in his books that he was the ancient astronaut, that he wasn't uh, a Maya, he was an ancient astronaut that came and built the mm-hmm. city. Um, and he's got this whole thing, you know, uh, the, this depiction of Pacal going into the underworld, uh, a, a carving. He said it was a spacecraft. And um, and and it's the tree of life, you know, and he's, he's sitting in this position where he's going into the underworld, which is what the Maya believe, you know, that you, you right. make this transition. And, um, and um, uh, what's interesting to me is how the, how the vendors outside of Palenque have embraced that concept and will mm. stop you and say, have you heard about our astronaut, Pacal? You know, because they're trying to make a sale. <laughs> they're trying to... Yeah. And a lot of tourists from Europe really... Um, um, you know, a, just grasp that idea that this was a man from the stars, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, um, uh, which he wasn't at all, you know, there's no, okay. no truth in that or no fact in that at all. But, mm-hmm. uh, uh, it is an interesting place. Yeah. So, um, what do the locals tell you about Pical? Because he he was a bearer of certain knowledge, and the uh, the Maya seem to have a very curious understanding of the cosmos and astronomy. And uh, the, the 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 few codices uh, or, or scientific books that are left to us have extremely accurate um, descriptions of the uh, revolution of Venus and Mars and the moon. Uh, and it's almost like they have um, uh, technical data. It's not that technical, but it's like uh, uh, one author, uh, James O'Conn, uh, in one of the early interviews I gave, and he's an engineer who's written uh, quite a bit about the Maya uh, engineering. He believes that the codices were translated uh, from technical manuals that the Maya had accumulated over the thousands of years that they'd been on the planet. What, what do you say about that? Well, you know, I, I can't question his, his theory because I really don't know what was on those codices, and it could very well have been that. Um, mm-hmm. When you consider the fact that, that uh, um, you, you know, uh, when Palenque was built and, 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 from all I could gather from the elders, is it, it was intended to be the storehouse of knowledge. Mm-hmm. When I talked to the Hopi in the Southwest, their ancient stories tell them that, that, the, that there is a city to the south of them, a red city that 
holds all the knowledge, the great knowledge of the universe. Now, Palenque was once painted red. Oh my God! Really? Um, yeah, and and you'll see that you know if you if you stop and take a close look at uh, at the um, uh, you know you'll still see remnants of the red paint on uh, at Palenque. But you know, over the thousands of years that it stood there, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's, it's it's you know disappeared. But you'll see red paint um, throughout. Um, they they like to paint their their houses, their cities, their cities red. And and in in Copan, in some of those places, they even use mica mixed in so that the cities glittered in the sun. And, wow. and you can imagine living at that time, coming in and seeing this golden red city glittering in the sun, you know, out in the middle of the jungle. Wouldn't that have been amazing? Would have been fantastic. I know. I mean, I just can't imagine that. But but that's that's exactly what they did. You know, they they their cities were were their art, and and you know. Um, and and the majority of them have what we call observatories. Uh, yes. Where they, and and they watched the stars, and they they knew about the stars, and and uh, uh, so it you know it's a it's a an amazing um, it, it's, it's an amazing culture. Yeah. Um, I want to finish up with a fun little uh, chapter that you have. Uh, when you were in Copan, and uh, uh, some of the natives uh, told you about uh, uh, communing with the ancient ones or the old ones, and uh, one night you went out and you actually witnessed uh, some pretty fascinating stuff. You want to tell us about that chapter uh, when you were taken out for uh, an evening view of uh, some old ones? Um. I was staying in this hotel, and, and of course, um, the city is called Copan Ruinous. I don't know why, because you would think that that, that would be the name of the, of the ancient site. The ancient site is actually called Copan. But the, uh, the modern-day town around Copan is, is, uh, has about 10,000 people in it. And it's, uh, it, it's a, a, a place where everybody knows everybody. Um, there, there are no street signs. There's no names of places. But you, you all you have to do is give a name, and and uh, people can give you directions. Um, I was in my hotel room, and this lady who was uh, uh, cleaning my room uh, asked me if I was indigenous. And I said, yes, I'm from the USA. And she, she said, if you go into the ruins at night, you, you might see the old ones, she said. And uh, she said, uh, but our priest says that you have to be indigenous in order for them to show up. And so I began talking to her. Um, and when I asked her who the old ones were, she said they were the gods. And she says they come in many forms. Um, she says sometimes they come from the sky, sometimes they come from the jungle, sometimes they come as light. She said, uh, but uh, I'm, and she she said that I'm only telling you this because um, uh, our priest told us that you would come, 
And he said that after you come, there will be richness. And I wasn't, you know, I was really taken back by what she was saying because she said, uh, uh, you, the priest says that you're here for a good purpose and that we must share with you the secrets of the old ones. And, and uh, she said, uh, um, this is the first time that anyone from the outside uh, has, has been chosen to learn our secrets. And I said, you know, uh, who are you talking about? The, the, the uh, Catholic priest? Because that's the only priest I knew that was. And she said, oh, no, I come from a village in the mountains, she said. And um, she says that uh, our priest said that somebody would come from El Norte, and it would be a woman. And that woman, um, uh, that uh, after she comes here, she will, she will be, uh, uh, she will love the people so much that the gods will make the tourists come. And keep in mind, this was at a period when the. Um, you know, it was around 2008 when the, you know, economy had kind of crashed and tourists weren't traveling that much and mm-hmm. people weren't, um, you know, on planes and stuff. And and uh, so their economy had really suffered. And the people there, you know, that's what they depend on uh, other than their crops. And, um, and so she said that everyone in our village believes that you're that woman, she says. And I'm just really, you know, I don't, I don't know what to do. And I said, she said uh, and she says, and and my boss says, and she talked about the, well, I guess the manager, owner of the hotel. She says, you know, he says you're a famous person. And I said, I'm not a famous person. I'm just a teacher. I'm a, I'm a professor. And she says, well, you know, if you want to see the old one, she says tonight at midnight, my brother. Uh, will come for you, and he will lead you into the ancient city. Well, I knew that was against the law, but she said, no. And uh, uh, if you are the one. Artie, are you there? Wow, can you hear me? Oh, there we go. Okay, we lost you for a minute, but go ahead. Oh, yeah. I, but she uh, said, if you're the woman the gods say you are, then or the priest says you are, then um, you will see the ancients. And... Um, so at midnight, uh, Teodoro show, showed up, knocked on my door, and I followed him uh, into the jungle. Um, um, and um, when we got in, in to the site, um, we um, uh, climbed one of the pyramids, and he said, now we wait. <laughs> and and we sat there, you know, watching the stars and the and the the bats and everything else that was playing, you know, around flying and and um, um, almost at dawn, um, these lights appeared in in um, uh, below us, um, and um, they they flitted around like. Uh, they were balls of light that just, like they were playing, like they were having fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, um, uh, all of a sudden, one came. Um, um, and, you know, I'm sitting there just transfixed by, by this scene, and one of them comes, and, and right up in front of me, and just doesn't move. 
it breaks off from all the others and it just comes in front of me and then all the other lights floated into a formation behind him um and as they they um uh hovered they hovered there and then all of a sudden they just disappeared on the night air and uh teodoro looks at me and says you are one of us and you know i was just speechless thinking what had i seen oh uh um and and while i'm trying to make sense of all this um uh, sunlight starts to to flood the plaza and uh um all, and I see a large circular rotating wheel-like craft appear overhead. Now this thing looks like a wheel, um, hmm. and I watched, you know, just basically speechless at this revolving wheels that disappeared toward the east. And I, the sun had come up, and I was squinting my eyes and looking in the direction of the sun, but the craft was gone. And hmm. um, and then. Um, I was scheduled to leave that morning, you know, to to uh, go oh, to... Oh, return uh, to the States? Uh. No, no, to continue my trip. Oh. And, uh, I was, a new driver was uh, was coming to pick me up to take mm-hmm. me into Guatemala. And uh, um, uh, because uh, Teodora said, you know, uh, you know, we'll go back, we'll go back to, uh, tonight, you know, at midnight. And I said, mm-hmm. but I can't. Uh, and uh, he said, uh, uh, it's been a long time, he said, since we've seen the old ones. But our priest said you had the power to bring them back to me, to us. And he says, I, and I kept saying, you know, I have no power. I'm a university professor. And he said, <laughs> the, the priest said your visit would restore balance, that a woman would come who was unselfish and kind and good. And he says, Said, uh, I, and I kept saying, I'm not sure I'm the one that that your your priest prophesied. And he said, oh, see, you are the one. And uh, when I left there, I promised to go back wow. uh, and see them again. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't been back, but it's on yeah. my bucket list. I'll tell you, uh, uh, that's pretty amazing to see an actual ship. Um and, and well, not the guy, typical kind of ship. Yeah, it wasn't a ship like the round disc or the cigar-shaped, you know, tube-like ship. This one was mm-hmm. a wheel. Wow! Uh, and it was massive. Wow! It was huge. What? Well, what? Well, can you give us a dimension? What you think it might be? Like a hundred feet? Like a f- football field length? Hundred yards? Uh, well, I'm not sure how big those pl- plazas are. They're probably. Uh, my goodness, they must be two or three football fields. And when it came over the plaza there, I would say that it, it pretty much covered the plaza. So but it was massive. Mind, it was circular. It was massive. Wow. And, um, uh, you know, and then, you know, uh, you know, the driver who picks me up, and at first I just, you know, kind of ignored him because I'm still thinking about what I had seen. He asked me, did you see the UFO last night? <laughs> and he, and and, and uh, he said that you know he had seen it uh that people had seen it uh, in Guatemala and they said that it headed toward um in the direction of of Copan and mm-hmm. so that was another uh validation and then the very next night 
uh, in Guatemala, the, the same spacecraft that I described appeared over a hotel where I was staying. My God, that's, that's fascinating. So, yeah, but I didn't see it that night. The other people in the hotel, other guests saw it, but uh, I had been up all night the night before mm-hmm. and uh, had gone to bed, and even though my phone rang, I just ignored it and stayed in bed, you know? And, of course, I live to regret that because... Oh, boy. You know, uh, but when, when people told me about it, uh, and, and you know, uh, and I'm open to those things because I know they exist. Of There's course. No question in my mind. Wow, that would have been a, a great opportunity to take your smartphone and take a picture. <laughs> well, I don't have a smartphone. Okay. I don't carry smartphones. I, yeah. I just have a a little track phone. A little and, track phone. Okay. Yep. I don't. I don't carry things. You would. You would be uh, quite famous. You could have plug. Could put that on your uh, the cover of your book, Sky People. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I, you know. It's it's interesting because you know I use the computer solely for the purposes of. Uh, of uh, recording my stories and transcribing my stories from tapes yeah. and notes and, um, you know, to do a little shopping and, and to get emails. And uh, I, I'm not into all these sophisticated uh, devices. And uh, and so, I you know, I, I'm interested in what, you know, I don't want, I want to be just as to appear to be a part of those communities when I go there, you know, and and right. uh, I don't need all those fancy trappings. I hear you. Um, and I don't have them in my life either. You know, I'm not on a Facebook oh. or I don't Twitter or do any of that stuff. Right, right. Well, thankfully, you've uh, at least put this information down in, in, a, in a great book. Uh, Sky People, Untold Stories of Alien Encounters in Mesoamerica. Fantastic. Listen, in, in the last couple of, of, of minutes, uh uh, Dr. Clark, why don't you tell us what you want people to take away from this book? What, why is it important that they that they they pick it up? It, just in a couple of a couple of minutes, I, that's all I have left for you. But tell us, what do you think about that? What's your impression? What do you want people to be impressed with? Well, I I, I think that it is the first time. Well, at least to hear the voices of the people. Um. And what they they share about their connection with the cosmos, and not mm-hmm. somebody interpreting what their connection was. That mm-hmm. if you read this book, you're going to get a totally different view of the Maya and 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 their connection with the universe, uh, and and not uh, someone uh, coming from the outside and and uh, making um, judgments. Um, you you will hear the people themselves tell their story, and that mm-hmm. is, I think, what is so unique about what I found and what I write about. Fantastic. Okay, the book "Sky People: Untold Stories of Alien Encounters in Mesoamerica." Uh, my guest today has been Dr. Artie Sixkiller Clark, and um, it is available on Amazon. I just checked. Uh, and I think if you um, uh, do a, a search for her book, I'm going to post it on my Facebook page, uh, links to get the book. It's a fantastic 
a read. I haven't been able to get through it. It has, uh, I think it's got at least 25 or more chapters. Oh, it's of, more than that. I think what I have, I think there's over 40 stories. That, let's see. Is it? Oh, let's uh, take a look here. There, yeah. You're right. There's, uh, 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 there's a total of 46 chapters. Boy, I'm looking at it right stories, now. Right. And, and they're all stories and interviews of various encounters uh, with uh, off-world beings and even some connections with ancient parts of the Mayan culture that uh, relate to uh, what we call, unfortunately, ancient astronauts. <laughs> and and, and so. even myths. You know, I try, if there's an ancient story related to the places I visit, I try to give the reader that information as well, you know, because sometimes people say, well, why did you go to that place? It's so remote. Mm-hmm. Well, I went there because I had heard this story, and I wanted to talk to the people about the story. And uh, wow. and then uh, other stories unfold as and, and find that maybe a village has had a history of encounters. Wow. And, well, um, yeah. I, I, and, I'm and looking I would f- like yeah. if pe- people read the book that you know, uh, I have a web page, uh, sixkiller.com, and people can also send me emails, and I answer every single email uh, mm-hmm. at rd at com. I'd just like to know how you felt about the book once you read it. Fantastic. So what, what, the website, again, is is it rd6killer.com? Oh, the, website or? Is, the website is sixkiller.com. Okay. Um, and then my email address is rd at sixkiller.com. Okay, so they can go there and and uh, connect with you and learn more, uh, ask yeah, questions. And, you or... know, I have other things on there. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, uh, stories I've written. Uh, you know, different things that that um, that aren't uh, published anywhere else. Okay, fantastic. Um, I'll put those on the Facebook page and also on the um, the radio station uh, link page so that uh, people connect. It's been a pleasure speaking with you again, Artie. I hope you have nice a great holiday. You, um, There's so what, many what, other things we could talk about. I, we could we talk for the whole the day, I'm sure. We could we yeah. could probably uh, go out and get lunch, come back, and, and do another two or three hours. <laughs> I know. I know. And because, you know, there's so, the stories were so varied. You know, um, yeah. the Aleutians, the little people, the giants that, that uh, you know, it's just amazing, some of the stories, uh, the... Uh, uh, mutilation of animals, um, mm-hmm. just a variety of different themes that are that we hear about in in, uh, but it's very different what the stories they tell. Fantastic! It's a pleasure as always, and um, much success to you uh, in the future. And uh, are, are you having? Is another book in the in the in the oh, yes. plans for you? Absolutely. Okay. okay. I'm, wow. I'm currently, yeah. Currently working on a third. Now, in this next section, which we'll just go ahead and call part two of this interview with Dr. Artie Sixcolor Clark, we hear really detailed interviews and her interpretation of what these natives are seeing. I mean, what happens here is that their contact with these star beings, these extraterrestrials, not only are much more frequent, but because they have been happening for perhaps centuries, the, the Native people are much more comfortable, uh, much more accepting, and obviously much more open 
to receiving these contexts, something that we can't even comprehend uh, because it's terrifying (laughs) to think there's a ship landing in your front yard, beings from another planetary system are getting out and uh, interacting. So uh, this is... uh, this is the uh, final part of this uh, series with Dr. Six Color Clark. But I really enjoyed interviewing her, and it really left a great impression. So here's, here's part two. I'll go through some of the areas that I thought, uh, chapters I thought were outstanding, and you can talk us a little, talk, tell us a little bit about it. So chapter two, a double on another planet. Now, this is a fascinating story because... It actually describes an individual who has been cloned. Tell us about that. Long before uh, we ever knew about cloning, I might add. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about that. Well, I I was I was in Belize, and um, I had a driver uh, who was um, he, he identified himself as a Red Carib Indian. Um, and the Red Caribs, as he told me, uh, never married with the African slaves who escaped when, when those slave traders were coming through. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they, they were the Red Carib and the Yellow Carib, and they never mixed. But the Garifuna, um, they are a mixture of, of black and, and Indian. And so, um, I was in, my driver told me that he had a cousin who had told him that he had been taken uh when he was just an infant or not an infant but a toddler um and that he had repeatedly um had encounters with uh people from the stars and so um, one day he drove me to meet him. And, well, we went to look for him because he hadn't seen his cousin for several decades, I think about 30 years, he said. And we found him, and he was willing to tell me his story. And he said that he was about four years old when he first first encountered them. And at first he thought they were children, that, you know, he played with them, and he, he thought they were a lot of fun. And... um but that, uh, you know, as he grew older, when he was about nine or ten, he said, you know, he realized that there was something much more, um, much different about them. And he said they started coming several times a year, and they would take him on board their spaceship. And he said one of the things that they did a lot of tests, like they would they would do things where they would uh, give him problems, like... Uh, uh, some kind of manipulatives, and and they wanted to see how he would solve a problem, and and mm-hmm. they would observe him and watch him, and at the at the uh, same time they were, um, uh, you know, taking his knowledge um, and um, uh, every of all the knowledge that he that he uh, um, um, that he possessed. And and he told me about um, they were taking his knowledge uh, and they were cloning uh, him. Um, he said that when he was 16, his clone actually went back to Earth and he stayed on the spaceship. And he said he hmm. stayed there for two weeks in his village impersonating him and no one knew the difference. What part of Mexico and, was that located in, Ari? 
What part of Mexico? Uh, that wasn't in Mexico. This was in Belize. Oh, that was in Belize. Okay. It was in Belize. And he okay. said uh, um, that um, the space, the, the, he was told they were populating another planet. Mm. And that um, uh, his clone would go to this other planet. He would be one of the people. And that they needed his skills on this other planet. And that's the reason why they had cloned him. They wanted mm. his clone have all the knowledge of farming and and plants and all the things that he knew and mm. so and he said uh, but he never regarded it uh, when he said you know he rebelled a little bit when he was in his teenage years because he he wanted to be doing other things with his friends um, and uh, but he said that he came to respect them so much and he said probably they were the reason why I went to college because they gave me so much knowledge. And he said that I, because I knew there was more than just what I, the village I lived in, he said I, I decided that I wanted to um, know more. And he said, so I regard them as, as the impetus that, that made me go to college. And he said that the the night he graduated from college, they came to see him, and they wow. told him they were finished with him, and uh, and they told him that their dub, uh, his double had learned what he needed to know, mm -hmm. and that uh, he would be a farmer like him on on another planet. That's and, amazing. Um, yeah, and that they were populating another planet, and and that, and he says he's never seen them again. You know, as a um as a researcher, as an orthodox, educated person, what, how do you take a story like that? I mean, do you just say, well, you know, it seems like he's telling the truth. He's sincere enough. I will accept that for my book. Or, I mean, how do you approach that? I mean, you, you've been interviewing Native people for years now. And when someone tells you a story like that, what, what, how, what, how do you react to that? Well, I, I try not to react because okay. I think that's, you know, I try not to say, well, you know, I don't believe this, you know, or I think this is a lie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, or, you know, just dismiss it because I think that's what's happened so much to people who tell their stories that um, we put our own uh, opinions and inferences into their stories. What I, my process is to simply go into these communities to um, uh, to have trusted people uh, people they trust if I don't know them if I if I haven't been seen in the village for a while if people don't know who I am um, you know to have somebody that they trust to know that I'm trustworthy because mm -hmm. that's that's really important in the indigenous community is that uh, in any indigenous community I've been in is that they either know they can trust you from your reputation or you are accompanied by somebody that they believe, uh, that, that they trust, that they believe it's okay to tell you their story. And I don't question them in the sense of, of a, um, uh, a scientist. I'm, I'm a social scientist, so I'm interested in stories. I'm mm -hmm. interested in hearing theirs. They have no reason to lie to me. 
He wasn't right. given some kind of information that, you know, tell this woman a story. You know, he was just sat down and it was a conversation uh, about his experience. I don't have any questions that this didn't happen to him. And, it and, wasn't a and dream. The, yeah. And the stories are so detailed in the book that the imaginations to come up with that would have to be pretty wild. That's right. You know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, you know, I heard repeatedly when I was in uh, traveling uh, that uh, there were other planets that had been populated by these by these sky people. Mm-hmm. I heard that from a lot more than just this man. Um, mm. You know, that uh, that that the, the sky people have enough knowledge and power that they can take a planet they can um, uh, terraform it they can make it uh, the climate uh, compatible with with uh, um, theirs uh, they can do all sorts of things to make a planet inhabitable mm-hmm. and um, so and and but they're very specific that there's only one or two groups of sky people who can do that. Wow. Um, you have a, a fantastic section of your book. Actually, it, it kind of it kind of runs throughout your book. And it's an area that I have had a problem with just because there's a whole series of programs called Ancient Aliens. And the reason I have a problem with it is that uh, anything that they cannot explain in these programs, they uh, attribute to Ancient Aliens. I know. And so... Uh, in, in my website and in my Facebook page and, and on this program, I, I don't really endorse ancient alien research because uh, it's it's for most of it is it's just like uh, hearsay. It's hearsay. But in your well, it's case, speculation. You know, I mean, it's it's taking yeah. something and it's speculating that this is what happened. And I asked the Maya about that. I asked them repeatedly. What do you mm-hmm. think of these ancient astronaut theories, or what do you think about uh, the idea that uh, somebody uh, came from the sky and built your ancient cities? And mm-hmm. and and they say, um, I said, did anybody ever ask you? Uh, well, in fact, one one man said to me, um, um, Von Daniken got it all wrong. He said, he said. Uh, and I said, why do you say that? Well, he said, because he never asked us. Interesting. He never asked us. He just speculated about how these cities were built. He said, um, we built these cities, or our, our ancestors built these cities. He said, um, the aliens he talks about are us. We came hmm. here, we built these cities, and we stayed. Fascinating. And I heard that several times. That they came from another world and that they built the cities and um, and they are the descendants of the people who came from the stars. That's amazing. Uh, I think we both, before the show, were, were talking a little bit about Palenque. You have a couple of wonderful chapters on Palenque. Palenque is a special place. I've been there myself. It's a sacred place. But you interviewed a couple of people who not only witnessed uh, alien beings, but also described the connection 
with the the ruler there, Pecals. Well, tell us a little bit about the chapter that you wrote on Palenque and, and why it's such a special place. Well, Palenque, um, the, the story is that when Palenque was built originally, it was supposed to be um, um, the, uh, the place to store the knowledge of the universe. And um, uh, they say that what happened to Palenque, what people tell you happened to Palenque, that it never became that storehouse of all the, all the knowledge, is that after it was built, the builders refused to leave. And they inhabited the city, and so therefore the, um, the knowledge was never left. There are many stories about uh, travelers that came from the stars and visited Palenque, um, and, and stories that, that a tower was built there, and it was a place that allowed uh, p- uh, leaders to travel back and forth between this planet and Earth, that they would enter the tower and they would be transported to... to um, to the stars. When uh, uh, Stevens and Catherwood uh, arrived in Palenque, it was, um, you know, it, it was an overgrown uh, city filled with mosquitoes, and uh, it's in the jungle. I mean, it sits on the side yeah. of a mountain in the in, in yeah. the jungle, and and so it, it was a miserable experience for them. Even though they did stay, I think it was twenty eight days, and promised to return, but they they never. They never got back there. Today, you know, when you go to Palenque, it's like a sideshow. You know, people are out there talking yeah. everything under the sun. You know, and and yeah. uh, but and the heat is quite oppressive because it is in it, it is up there in the jungle in that you know, uh, but the, that in the Tumbala Mountains, but that high canopy jungle is just absolutely unbelievable yeah. and extremely it, humid. Yeah. And King Pakal, uh, he ruled the city for 68 years. And he was responsible for a lot of the great... Uh, well, Palenque has 500 buildings that have been identified, but that's only... They uh, say there's more than 80% of the city that remains uncovered in the rainforest. So, you know, it's a magnificent place. When you think of... 500 buildings have been identified, but that's only 20% of what the city is. The rest yeah. of it has never been uncovered. Um, and, and so it's, it's, it's an amazing place to, 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 um, to visit. Um, but the, yes. the Maya themselves, um, they, they do not really... You know, in the old days, the priests would tell them to stay out of the city because... Um, when the Catholics got into uh, to, uh, they t- they told them, you know, you stay out of the city. That city is evil. And so they told me that the spirits of the old ones come to Palenque. And mm-hmm. so the superstitious Maya, and I think you'll see that throughout the book as you read, you know, how superstition has uh, permeates a lot of of, uh, of yeah. present day life. And um that they wouldn't spend an, a, a night there, but uh, this one night security guard, he was not, they said he was not Maya, he was Mexican, and he ignored the warnings about the spirits. And so he was in the city at night, 
Um, and he saw uh, the people come from the stars and enter the pyramid of inscriptions and disappear. Wow. And uh, he, when he described them, he told them they were tall and white. They glowed. They were white. They were spirits, he said. And uh, they entered the... Um, uh, came on a spacecraft that was round. He said it looked like a hat, a flat hat. Uh, it smelled awful, he said, like hell smells, he said. <laughs> and he tasted metal, and it made him sick. And his head hurt, and he said that um, after that he left. He never wanted anything to do with, uh, with uh, uh, Palenque again. So that was one of the stories I heard that I thought, I thought was, was quite amazing. One of the things that's really interesting is, you know, this is a city that uh, King Cow is what uh, uh, Von Daniken has put in his books, that he was the ancient astronaut, that he wasn't uh, a Maya, he was an ancient astronaut that came and built the mm -hmm. city. And he's got this whole thing, you know, uh, the, this depiction of Pacao going into the underworld. Uh, a, a carving. He said it was a spacecraft, and 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 it, it's the tree of life, you know. And he's he's sitting in this position where he's going into the underworld, which is what the Maya believe, you know, that you, you right. make this transition. And uh, what's interesting to me is how the how the vendors outside of Palenque have embraced that concept. And we'll mm. stop you and say, have you heard about our astronaut, Pacal? You know, because they're trying to make a sale. <laughs> they're trying to. Yeah. And a lot of tourists from Europe really, you know, just grasp that idea that this was a man from the stars, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so, um, which he wasn't at all. You know, there's no okay. no truth in that or no fact in that at all. But mm -hmm. uh, uh, it is an interesting place. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah. So what do the locals tell you about Pical? Because he he was a bearer of certain knowledge and the the Maya seem to have a very curious understanding of the cosmos. 
and astronomy and uh, the, the, the few codices uh, or, or scientific books that are left to us have extremely accurate descriptions of the uh, revolution of Venus and Mars and the moon. And it's almost like they have technical data. It's not that technical, but it's like uh, one author, James O'Conn, uh, in one of the early interviews I gave, and he's an engineer who's written uh, quite a bit about the Maya uh, engineering. He believes that the codices were translated from technical manuals that the Maya had accumulated over the thousands of years that they'd been on the planet. What, what do you say about that? Well, you know, I, I can't question his his theory because I really don't know what was on those codices, and it could very well have been that. But when you consider the fact that, that uh, um, you, you know, uh, when Palenque was built, and, and, and from all I could gather from the elders, is it, it was intended to be the storehouse of knowledge. Mm-hmm. When I talked to the Hopi in the Southwest, they're ancient stories tell them that that the, the, there is a city to the south of them a red city that holds all the knowledge the great knowledge of the universe now palenque was once painted red oh my god really um, yeah and and you'll see that you know if you if you stop and take a close look at uh, at the um uh, you know, you'll still see remnants of the red paint on uh, at Palenque, but you know, over the thousands of years that it stood there, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's, it's it's you know disappeared. But you'll see red paint throughout. They they like to paint their their houses, their cities, their cities red, and and in in Copan, in some of those places, they even use mica mixed in so that the cities glittered in the sun and, wow. and you can imagine living at that time coming in and seeing this golden red city glittering in the sun you know out in the middle of the jungle wouldn't that have been amazing would have been fantastic i uh, know i mean i just can't imagine that but but that's that's exactly what they did you know they they their cities were were their art and and, and you know um, and and the majority of them have what we call observatories. Uh, yes. Where they, and and they watched the stars, and they they knew about the stars, and and uh, uh, so it, you know it's a it's a an amazing it, it, it's an amazing culture. Yeah. I want to finish up with a fun little chapter that you have when you were in Copan. And uh, some of the natives uh, told you about uh, communing with the ancient ones or the old ones. And uh, one night you went out and you actually witnessed some pretty fascinating stuff. You want to tell us about that, Chap, when you were taken out for uh, an evening view of uh, some old ones? Um, I was staying in this hotel and, and of course, um the city is called Copan Ruinous. I don't know why, because you would think that 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 would be the name of the of the ancient site. The ancient site is actually called Copan, but the uh, the modern day town around Copan is is uh, has about ten thousand people in it, and mm-hmm. it's um, it, it's a, a a place where everybody knows everybody. 
there there are no street signs. There's no names of places. But you, you all you have to do is give a name, and and uh, people can give you directions. I was in my hotel room, and this lady who was cleaning my room uh, asked me if I was indigenous, and I said yes, I'm from the USA, and she she said that if you go into the ruins at night, you, you might see the old ones, she said. And uh, she said, uh, but our priest says that you have to be indigenous in order for them to show up. And so I began talking to her, and when I asked her who the old ones were, she said they were the gods. And she says they come in many forms. She says sometimes they come from the sky, sometimes they come from the jungle. Sometimes they come as light, she said. But uh, I'm, And she, she said that I'm only telling you this because uh, our priest told us that you would come. And he said that after you come, there will be richness. And I wasn't, you know, I was really taken back by what she was saying because she said, uh, uh, you, the priest says that you're here for a good purpose and that we must share with you the secrets of the old ones. And, and she said, uh, um, this is the first time that anyone from the outside uh, has, has been chosen to learn our secrets. And I said, you know, uh, who are you talking about? The, the, the uh, Catholic priest? Because that's the only priest I knew that was. And she said, oh, no, I come from a village in the mountains, she said. And um, she says that uh, our priest said that somebody would come from El Norte and it would be a woman. And that woman, um, uh, that uh, after she comes here, she will, she will be, uh, uh, she will love the people so much that the gods will make the tourists come. And keep in mind, this was at a period when, uh, um, you know, it was around 2008 when the, you know, economy had kind of crashed and tourists weren't traveling that much and mm-hmm. people weren't. Um, you know, on planes and stuff. And and uh, so their economy had really suffered. And the people there, you know, that's what they depend on uh, other than their crops. And um, and so she said that everyone in our village believes that you're that woman, she says. And I'm just really, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what to do. And I said, <laughs> she said uh, and she says, and, and my boss says, and she talked about, this, well, I guess, the manager, owner of the hotel, she says, you know, he says you're a famous person. And I said, I'm not a famous person. I'm just a teacher. I'm a, I'm a professor. And she says, well, you know, if you want to see the old one, she says, tonight at midnight, my brother uh, will come for you. And he will lead you into the ancient city. Well, I knew that was against the law, but she said, no. And uh, uh, if you are the one. Artie, are you there? Wow, can you hear me? Oh, there we go. Okay, we lost you for a minute, but go ahead. Oh, I'm yeah. Sorry. I, but she uh, said, if you're the woman the gods say you are, then or the priest says you are, then you will see the ancients. And um, so at midnight, Teodoro show, showed up, knocked on my door, and I followed him into the jungle. And when we got in in to the site, we climbed one of the pyramids and he said now we wait <laughs> and and we sat there you know watching the stars and the 
and the the bats and everything else that was playing, you know, around flying and and um, almost at dawn, these lights appeared in in um, uh, below us, and uh, they they flitted around like uh, they were balls of light that just like they were playing, like they were having fun. Uh, and, um, all of a sudden one came and, you know, I'm sitting there just transfixed by, by this scene and one of them comes and, and right up in front of me and just doesn't move. It breaks off from all the others and it just comes in front of me. And then all the other lights floated into a formation behind him. And as they, they, um, Hovered, they hovered there, and then all of a sudden they just disappeared on the night air. And uh, Teodoro looks at me and says, you are one of us. And, uh, you know, I was just speechless thinking, what had I seen? Oh, uh, um, and, and while I'm trying to make sense of all this, um, uh, sunlight starts to, to flood the plaza. And, uh, um, all, and I see a large circular rotating wheel-like craft appear overhead. Now, this thing looks like a wheel. And I watched, you know, just basically speechless at this revolving wheels that disappeared toward the east. And I, the sun had come up, and I was squinting my eyes and looking in the direction of the sun, but the craft was gone. And, mm. um, and then um, I, I was scheduled to leave that morning, you know, to... to uh, Go oh, to, return uh, to the states? Uh. No, no, to continue my trip. Oh, and, uh, I was a new driver was uh, was coming to pick me up to take mm-hmm. me into Guatemala, and uh, um, uh, because uh, Teodora said, you know, uh, you know, we'll go back, we'll go back to, uh, tonight, uh, you know, at midnight, and I said, mm-hmm. but I can't, uh, and uh, he said. Uh, uh, it's been a long time, he said, since we've seen the old ones. But our priest said you had the power to bring them back to me, to us. And he says, I, and I kept saying, you know, I have no power. I'm a university professor. And he said, <laughs> the, the priest said your visit would restore balance, that a woman would come who was unselfish and kind and good. And he says, said, uh, I, and I kept saying, I'm not sure I'm the one that, that your your priest prophesied, and he said, "Oh, see, you are the one." And uh, when I left there, I promised to go back. Wow! Uh, and see them again. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't been back, but it's on yeah. my bucket list. I'll tell you, uh, uh, that's pretty amazing to see an actual ship, and well, and not is the, it... a typical kind of ship. Yeah, it wasn't a ship like the round disc or the cigar-shaped, you know, tube-like ship. This one was mm-hmm. a wheel. Wow. And it was massive. It's huge. What, what, can you give us a dimension, what you think it might be? Like 100 feet, like a f- football field length, 100 yards? Uh, well, I'm not sure how big those pl- plazas are. They're probably, uh, my goodness, they must be two or three football fields. And when it came over the plaza there, I would say that it, it pretty much covered the plaza. So but it was massive. Mind, it was circular. It was massive. 
And, uh, uh, you know, and then, you know, uh, you know, the driver who picks me up, and at first I just, you know, kind of ignored him because I'm still thinking about what I had seen. He asked me, did you see the UFO last night? (laughs) And and, uh, he said that, you know, he had seen it that people had seen it in Guatemala, and they said that it headed toward, in the direction of, of Copan. And mm-hmm. so that was another uh, validation. And then the very next night uh, in Guatemala, the this, this same spacecraft that I described appeared over a hotel where I was staying. My God, that's, that's fascinating. Yeah, but I didn't see it that night. The other people in the hotel, other guests saw it, but uh, I had been up all night the night before mm-hmm. and uh, had gone to bed, and even though my phone rang, I just ignored it and stayed in bed, you know? And, of course, I live to regret that because... Oh, boy. You know, uh, but when when people told me about it, uh, and and, you know... And I'm open to those things because I know they exist. Of course. Question in my mind. Wow, that would have been a a great opportunity to take your smartphone and take a picture. (laughs) Well, I don't have a smartphone. Okay. I don't carry smartphones. I I just have a a little track phone. Little track phone. Okay. Yep. I don't. I don't carry things. You would you would be uh, quite famous. You could have plug could put that on your uh, the cover of your book, Sky People. <laughs> you know, I, you know, it's it's interesting because you know I use a computer solely for the purposes of uh, of uh, recording my stories and transcribing my stories from tapes yeah. and notes, and um, you know to do a little shopping and and to get emails, and uh, I, I'm not into all these sophisticated. Uh, devices and uh and so i you know i i'm interested in what you know i don't want i want to be just as to appear to be a part of those communities when i go there you know and and right. uh, i don't need all those fancy trappings i hear you um and i don't it, have it them is... in my life either you know i'm not on a facebook oh. or i don't twitter or do any of that stuff right right well, thankfully, you've uh, at least put this information down in, in, a, in a great book, uh, Sky People, Untold Stories of Alien Encounters in Mesoamerica. Fantastic. Listen, in the last couple of, of, of minutes, uh, uh, Dr. Clark, why don't you tell us what you want people to take away from this book? What, why is it important that they, that they, they pick it up? It, just in a couple of, a couple of minutes, I, that's all I have left for you. But tell us, what do you think about that? What's your impression? What do you want people to be impressed with? Well, I, I, I think that it is the first time, well, at least to hear the voices of the people and what they, they share about their connection with the cosmos and not mm-hmm. somebody interpreting what their connection was. That if you read this book, you're going to get a totally different view of the Maya and 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 their connection with the universe, uh, and and not uh, someone uh, coming from the outside and and uh, making um, judgments. Um, you you will hear the people themselves tell their story, 
And that mm-hmm. is, I think, what is so unique about what I found and what I write about. Fantastic. Okay, the book, Sky People, Untold Stories of Alien Encounters in Mesoamerica. Uh, my guest today has been Dr. Artie Sixkiller Clark. And um, it is available on Amazon. I just checked. And I think if you do a, a search for her book, I'm going to post it on my Facebook page, uh, links to get the book. It's a fantastic uh, read. I haven't been able to get through it. It has, uh, I think it's got at least 25 or more chapters. Oh, it's of, more than that. I think what I have, I think there's over 40 stories. That, let's see. Is it? Oh, well, let's uh, take a look here. There, yeah. You're right. There's, uh, uh, there's a total of 46 chapters. Boy, I'm looking at it right now. Right. And, and they're all stories and interviews of various encounters with uh, off-world beings and even some connections with ancient parts of the Mayan culture that uh, relate to what we call, unfortunately, ancient astronauts. <laughs> and and, and so, even myths. You know, I try, if there's an ancient story related to the places I visit, I try to give the reader that information as well, you know, because sometimes people say, well, why did you go to that place? It's so remote. Mm-hmm. Well, I went there because I had heard this story, and I wanted to talk to the people about the story. And uh, wow. and then uh, other stories unfold as and, and find that maybe a village has had a history of encounters. Wow. And, well, um, yeah. I, I, and, I'm and looking I would f- like yeah. if pe- people read the book that you know, uh, I have a web page, uh, sixkiller.com, and people can also send me emails, and I answer every single email uh, mm-hmm. at at sixkiller.com. I'd just like to know how you felt about the book once you read it. Fantastic. So what, what, the website, again, is, is it artysixkiller.com? No, the, website or? Is, the website is sixkiller.com. Okay. Um, and then my email address is artysixkiller.com. Okay, so they can go there and and uh, connect with you and learn more, uh, ask yeah, questions. And, you or... know, I have other things on there. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, uh, stories I've written. Uh, uh, you know, different things that that um, that aren't uh, published anywhere else. As you may have heard, this those uh, interviews were very old. Quality of the recordings is poor because I had the. Uh, <laughs> rudimentary equipment so uh, you're, I wasn't picking up her voice really well uh, and what I was using was uh, in many cases just uh, iPod earpods <laughs> from iPhone so I tr- I've tried to clean it up I think more important is the data is what she's saying so I hope you were able to bear with me uh, on the uh, quality of the sound I want to remind you of the th- uh, the books that she's written so that you can um, follow up if you're interested on many, many other uh, of her accounts of uh, indigenous people's connection to star people. She has over 4,000 interviews. Uh, not all of those are in her books, but the um, four books that she's written are Encounters with Star People, uh, Sky People, Untold Stories of E.T. Encounters in Mesoamerica, which is 
part of the interview that you heard, those are people in Mexico and Guatemala, more encounters with star people, which was a follow-up to the very first book. And then in, I think it's 2018, she had help and she published a book called Space Age Indians. And uh, that deals with interaction with different types of uh, off-world types, including, she calls them reptilians, uh, people of different, uh, or beings of different hominin species, and so forth and so on. So these are all available on uh, Amazon. So uh, she she's uh, not doing well. She had a stroke a couple of uh, years ago. And I was trying to think of a way to get her on again, but she can't really talk right now. So that's a big, obviously a big deal. So, and this is, uh, this, this program was to honor her as a, an indigenous person. She's received a great deal of flack from people who are native in Montana, where she lives, as well as others who just ridicule her for for uh, discussing these these uh, events with uh, indigenous tribes in different parts of the Americas. So, so this is for her. I want to thank uh, Artie for her contributions to the field of star people. And I and I have to say that. If you do a search on YouTube or actually other podcasts, there are other Native elders, including people we've had on the show. Uh, uh, Clifford Mahoudi, uh, a Zuni elder, who's a friend of mine, and also uh, a couple other people who are Native, uh, people who have spoken. But I have to say, none of them have done the, the number of interviews that uh, Artie has done over probably going on 15 years um, when she started her trek in uh, Guatemala up through Mexico and then into the United States. So real interesting interactions. A lot of things that really make you scratch your head and go, wow, (laughs) what the heck is that all about? So there you go, star people. So this is one for your archives to have when you ever you're thinking or you hear stories of uh, star people, check it out. Get her books. I just ordered, uh, she sent me a very early, basically edited, uh, her edit um, copy of Space Age Indians, which is her latest book. And I just went out and bought it again. And uh, so the, the version she got for, for editing um has been updated. So those books I gave you, those four books, get them because we're just touched the surface. I mean, we could spend probably five hours or six hours in, in discussing these different uh, star people interactions that native uh, people have had around the the world. My mentor, uh, the elder Humbats men talked a lot about, early encounters uh, prior to the uh, conquistadors landing in the Americans um, thousands of years back. And uh, it's really interesting to hear. And Artie, what she does is she just uh, validates what I understood uh, from a 
uh, an earlier period when I started going down to Mexico, understanding the history of these people. So I hope you enjoyed that. Hey, we got a tour coming up in Egypt. It's the Grand Egyptian Tour number three. And this is really going to be one for the books. We have been going down there now for a few years. And each time I go down, I am amazed at what has has been left to us. And we're not just talking temples and pyramids. Those are outstanding. There are subtle items. There's artifacts that are found in each of the little museums that we visit in the different parts of Egypt we, we go to. And we'll also get a chance to see Jim, the Grand Egyptian Museum, which is slated to be opened this winter. The Grand Egyptian Tour is May 3rd through the 15th. We meet in Cairo. It is five-star from start to finish. I always use the terminology, it's a diplomatic tour. And when I say diplomatic, each of you <laughs> is treated, or those of who, who travel with us, is treated like a diplomat. And uh, we make it really easy for you. It's 40% off the normal fee. I mean, that's these tours can get really spendy, eight, nine, even 10 grand for a two-week tour. Ours is very, very reasonable. And I think when you go to the website, earthancients.com forward slash tours, and you look at the itinerary, you will be quite impressed at what happens. You know what? And the other thing is, heck, we've been stifled in our ability to do anything. This pandemic has isolated us. Uh, We haven't been able to see our friends. And uh, we haven't been able to travel. Give yourself a holiday gift and come with us to Egypt. You will be with like-minded people. It is private. We have the best of the best, the food, the accommodations, the places we visit. Many places we visit will be private tours, just us and the entire temple. And this also goes for the major sites. We have uh, our group will have two hours of complete access to the great Cheops Pyramid, the Khufu Pyramid, the Grand Pyramid, the largest freestanding structure in the world. We can go in. You can go in, go to the King's Chamber, sit in there for an hour, drop down, go to the Queen's Chamber, go to the uh, the Grand Vault, the Grand Gallery, or if you want, go all the way down into the Subterranean Chamber. Enjoy that by yourself. Meditate, do whatever you want to do. <laughs> Same thing when we go to the Sphinx. Private, private, private. So come out and join us. We're almost full, uh, but I want to remind you, give yourself a holiday gift. You're never going to see these prices again. And for more information, go to earthagents.com forward slash tours, T-O-U-R-S. It's going to be a blast. All right, next week we start with our holiday offering. These are the big guns. We do this every year as a gift from Earth Ancients to you. Eric von Donigan, Erich von Donigan, his new book, Confessions of an Egyptologist, is what we'll be talking about. This is uh, his look at the past and his connection with a well known uh, archaeologist. And there's 
Also, some details about the labyrinths that he's visited, and also some secrets that he would like to reveal about the Saqqara Pyramid. So, Eric Von Duncan, next week on Earth Ancients. Don't miss it. Uh, it's our annual gift to you uh, for the holidays. We have some other great uh, guests. We have uh, Randall Carlson, Michael Cremo. We have an astrom- astronomer who used to work with JPL, Marion Rudnick, will be joining us. And that by itself is uh, going to be wonderful because he just doesn't give uh, interviews anymore. He's been lambasted by UFO groups and things like that. So, uh, I mean, that, that's going to be a, a fun by itself. So, holiday to remember with Earth Ancients. So, stay tuned and uh, please join us. All right, that's it for this program. Uh, I want to thank uh, Artie Six Color Clark for her contribution. As always, uh, our regulars, Bruce Fenton in London, uh, our production team of Ruth Thomas in British Columbia, and the other editors and uh, designers who make Earth Ancients happen. You guys rock. Thank you. All right, take care, be well, and we'll talk to you next week. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.